The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Thursday, February 23rd in Hong Kong. Wednesday, February 22nd in New York. Coming up today... U.S. stocks finished lower after the Fed signaled interest rates will keep moving higher. After the bell, NVIDIA gives a bullish outlook for revenue as the company pushes further into AI computing chips. China urges some state-owned firms to let contracts expire with their four biggest auditing firms. Putin says he's waiting for Xi visit to stabilize the world. Biden says Putin has made a big mistake by pulling back on nuclear treaty. Hong Kong rearranges some COVID policies. I'm Ed Baxter with Global News. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Rashad Salamat. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. The FMC anticipated further rate hikes to, to bring down inflation here. Now, minutes from that Fed uh, rate-setting meeting show that nearly all participants agreed it was appropriate to raise the cost of borrowing by 25 basis points. A few officials favoured or could have supported a larger move. Now, since the meeting, several data points have suggested stronger underlying momentum. And earlier, we had St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard saying the American economy is proving more resilient than expected, telling CNBC the data has caused many investors to reprice the Fed's rate path. I think that markets have uh, overpriced a recession in the second half of 2022 and overpriced a recession in the first half of 2023. Maybe they're overpricing the chances of recession in the second half of 2023. Bullard saying that he still favors hiking the Fed funds rate above 5% as quickly as possible. Also saying that he was encouraged about the prospects for, quote, disinflation. And he did point to a shift by consumers to do more shopping at Walmart. We have a rally in shares of NVIDIA in late trading. The stock is up more than 8.5% after the leading chip maker gave a bullish forecast for revenue in the current quarter. We have more from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. It suggests that its push into artificial intelligence processors is helping offset weakening demand for personal computer chips. The company has parlayed its dominance of graphics processors into a strong position in the growing market for AI hardware. Its chips excel at the kind of parallel processing that allows computers to make sense of large amounts of data and train software to make decisions. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg, Dave Asia. Let's turn to a big tech giant, which has some rather promising news for anybody who's suffering from diabetes. Bloomberg's Tom Busby has a story. 
Apple says it's making progress on a non-invasive continuous blood glucose monitor for the Apple Watch device. The goal is to measure blood sugar in the wearer's body without needing to prick the skin for blood. Instead, using lasers that emit light just below the skin, which reflects a glucose reading back to a sensor in the watch. Now, the move could upend a multi-billion dollar industry in the U.S., where an estimated 1 in 10 people has diabetes and typically rely on a device that punctures the skin to get a blood sample. Apple says the technology still a few years away. I'm Tom Busby, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Authorities in China are urging state-owned firms to phase out using the four largest international accounting firms. That story from Bloomberg's David Inglis. We hear Chinese authorities are urging firms to let contracts with the big four auditing firms expire. This latest call points to concerns about data security. Firms were reportedly asked to hire local Chinese or Hong Kong accountants instead, and this comes even after Beijing reached this landmark deal to allow U.S. audit inspections on hundreds of Chinese firms listed in New York. It also serves as a reminder that decoupling is still proceeding in very sensitive areas. Now, China's move is also not without risk. Going forward, shifting to lesser-known auditors will make it harder for state-owned enterprises to attract capital from international investors. In Hong Kong, I'm David Inglis, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. All right. Well, let's uh, stay in the APAC region, as it were. And uh, shares of Qantas Airways, well, are bouncing back. We've got, at the moment, a rise of about 1.1% in a declining market as uh, uh, the airline bounced back to record half-year profits. Let's get more now from Bloomberg's Annabelle Drewlers. Qantas reported net income of $1 billion Australian dollars or $681 million for the last six months of 2022. That compared with a loss of $456 million Australian dollars a year earlier when COVID restrictions destroyed income. Carriers worldwide have suffered losses approaching $200 billion over the past three years. Qantas's positive results reflect the intensity of aviation's recovery from the pandemic as travel demand surges. Analysts expect Qantas to post record earnings this fiscal year. Separately, Qantas announced a stock buyback of as much as 500 million Australian dollars, adding to a program announced in August. In Hong Kong, I'm Annabelle Drulers, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. So we've been talking today about the Fed minutes. And when you consider the Fed, remember this, the seat of Fed vice chair is going to be vacated by Lael Brainerd. She's leaving to become director of the National Economic Council. Now, we know the White House has considered the name Austin Goolsby. He is currently the head of the Chicago Fed. Well, now the Wall Street Journal is uh, reporting that President Biden is facing a bit of resistance from Democrats who want him to nominate a woman or a person of color. And the names Janice Eberly and Karen Dynan have been floated as possible candidates to become Fed vice chair. We'll be talking more about uh, market action today to the Fed Minutes when Ben Emmons joins us right after we update Global News. Russian President Putin says he's waiting for Chinese President Xi Jinping to visit. Ed Baxter with more from the Bloomberg Newsroom in San Francisco. Eddie? Yeah, exactly right, Doug. Putin says the visit will help in stabilizing the international situation. This after meeting with Counselor Wang Yi, President Putin says the two are just cementing an old relationship. Russia-China relations develop like we planned in previous years. Of course, we are waiting for the head of China People's Republic to visit Russia. So Angela Stan senior fellow at the Brookings Institution on Bloomberg's Balance of Power today, says Putin has several asks. He'd like the weapons, but if he can't get the weapons, he just wants more Chinese support. And probably also the Chinese may have been helping Russia evade some of the sanctions. So I think economic assistance. 
Yeah, Stent says he continues to refer back to the Soviet era. He has uh, no checks or balances and looks to be ready to just, she says, pour more troops into the war in Ukraine. And this meeting comes as U.S. President Joe Biden was in the air coming home back to the U.S. Uh, Bloomberg's Amory Hordern in Warsaw says a Biden administration feels the president has gotten what he wanted, pointing out Putin's failures. That while Putin wanted this Finlandization of NATO, what he got is the NATOization of Finland and Sweden. So this is something the president is really going to walk away with this idea that he was able to keep NATO not just united but also expanding on it. And with Putin's pulling out from the START nuclear agreement, the U.S. says it will be monitoring. President Biden in an exclusive interview with ABC calls it a big mistake. I think we're less safe when we walk away from arms control agreements that are very much in both parties' interest and the world's interest. But I've not seen anything, we've not seen anything where there's a change in this posture, what they're doing, the idea that somehow this means they're thinking of new, using nuclear weapons, international continental ballistic missiles. There's no evidence of that. And the U.S. State Department is saying today that it has fully ascertained that Russian forces have committed horrendous war crimes. The department's ambassador at large for global criminal justice, Beth Van Schack, says that action needs to be taken now. Information indicating that members of Russia's forces committed execution-style killings of Ukrainian men, women, and children, tortured civilians in detention, including through beatings, electrocutions, and mock executions, raped women and girls, and alongside other Russian officials, deported hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian civilians, including children. Vanchok says the world court needs to take action. Hong Kong is extending its mandatory mask mandate in public places for another 14 days to March 8th. The region is rapidly removing pandemic restrictions, but this one will remain a while longer. It also says it will no longer require secondary school students to take daily COVID tests beginning March 1st. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Joining us here in New York is Ben Emmons. Ben is Senior Portfolio Manager at New Edge Wealth and an expert on uh, things in the fixed income space and bond markets. Always good to see you, Ben. Thanks for being with us. Uh, A lot having to do today with the Fed minutes, but I think in what we read, nothing was really surprising. I think higher for longer seems to be the theme, and a number of officials believe that insufficiently restrictive rates could potentially cause the problem of no longer making progress when it comes to fighting inflation. So if you look at the market right now, pricing in, let's say, another 75 basis points and tightening, three more 25 basis point rate hikes, is there the risk that there could be tightening beyond that? So I was listening to Jim Pollard today, uh, Doug, and um, so he's very strong on, on reaching that rate, 5.37538, uh, which is 75 basis points from here 
you know, quicker, but we have to reach that rate. So that's where the market currently now is. They've really, really listened to what he is saying, Bollard. And as you remember, he was the one putting out projections even as high as 7% mm. in the event that you do deal with inflation that just doesn't really moderate enough or is at risk to start increasing again. And, you know, in the minutes, there was a section at the very end in the policy discussion where they did acknowledge that it's going to take some time to get inflation to 2%. That was a different language I felt than what I read previously. So I think, to your question, can they time beyond that? Yes, it's possible. Because Ballard, even in his interview today in Different Network, was saying, indicating, like, that's what it should do, it should be sufficient. <clears throat> but it could be, you know, it, there could be more in there if it, if it doesn't moderate, right? If inflation doesn't moderate. Yeah, I mean, we've got at the moment uh, some uh, analysis from the New York Fed discussing the inflation outlook based on their global supply chain pressures index and suggests that U.S. inflation could actually fall uh, without an economic slowdown. So do we have to be looking at uh, this uh, argument between hard and soft landing when there could be no landing? Uh, true, Rish. You know, the, the, and that's what, what Baller again he said too that was a i think a positive comment by him that we have actually just what they call disinflation it's not like rapidly falling inflation it's not deflation it's not like destructive decline in prices it's just a gentle moderation of this big shock of prices that we had last year it may take longer but it doesn't therefore lead to rapid rise in unemployment uh, yet the Fed ratcheting up rates is enough to get that inflation lead on a trajectory down to 2% in a, in a glide path. If that's the case, you're not, you're not talking about soft or hard lending. You're talking about an economy that keeps cruising. Right? So it's the a, head of the New York Fed, John Williams, speaking and indicating that inflation will return to 2% over the next few years. Years. I mean, so we're talking about maybe the need to reexamine the target is 2%. A little too aggressive. Maybe they should settle on three and call it a day. Yeah, that's what's been said, but that's unlikely to happen, though. You know, that was what Powell was very specific about to David Rubenstein, uh, where he, he he really indicated like if you go that way to accepting that three percent is the new norm, say, then inflation expectations will adjust to three percent or higher, and you do deal then in their world or you know the monetary policy thinking that that becomes an unanchored inflation expectations story and that's not what they want to head to uh, you know the, him Powell Ballard Waller all, the, all of them have been coming out saying we're not a, it's not enough to be at three percent it's got to be at two percent but they acknowledging as the minute said it will take some time or as Williams now said several years mm -hmm. it may indeed as Williams said before it may take a few years of a rate that's restrictive right? that's much higher than than we are used to one last point on this is that you know, on the Bloomberg terminal, you can actually see how that is priced in what they call overnight index swaps. They price out really far out in the future, like 30, 40, 50 years of what the rate could be. That's now something like three and a half to 4% range, that rate. Prior to the pandemic, when I tracked that rate, it was more like two, two and a half percent. So the market's definitely on board that this is a Fed policy higher for longer, restricted for longer. Yeah. So, I mean, but the narrative has changed that, you know, this was originally cost uh, push inflation, but how far is it becoming demand pull? If so, that creates a, a, a vicious circle ultimately, and you can, but you can't stop it. No, you can't stop it, and, and, you know, the, the global situation plays a big role, right? And here too, again, uh, 
being said by, by Fed officials as well as in the minutes that the China reopening is a, is a real factor in, in this that could lead to that demand pool uh, inflation. One of the things that was interesting during the Powell press conference, he was asked a question about the debt ceiling and he was very blunt in saying, essentially, don't look to the Fed to bail you out of a problem that gets created by the unwillingness to reach some kind of compromise that gets us to increase that. We're getting closer to that moment in time, and it's interesting that the market appears to be as calm as it is right now. Is there the risk that we see a lot more, a lot more in the way of volatility in the bond market the closer we get to that kind of day where there's a high risk that default becomes something we have to talk about? Yeah, there was announcements out today by one of these policy think tanks, some partisan policy uh, analysis that, that show that the X date, the day that the, the Treasury may run out of money, uh, had a huge amount of uncertainty around it, but meaning it was actually pulled forward that it could be as early as June, July that that X date actually hits. And you can tell from the, the T-bill market that it really started to be priced in there now. Uh, and that this consistent pricing is not like a brief kink in that table curve and then disappears. It's now a little more persistent and it's mixing itself with the Fed expectations that have been driven up now to this rate of what Bollard wants to see. Right? So, so yes, there's a bit of a friction collision idea there that if this becomes protracted standoff, it is problematic. Not to keep harping on the minutes, but it was twice mentioned in the minutes that the debt ceiling was a, a risk to the, uh, the near-term outlook. All right. Well, let's just have a look at how it moves the, the needle for the dollar. The dollar's depreciation has stopped. In fact, it's uh, erased the losses that we've had so far this year. Where does it go from here? That's the question, because it has big implications for, of course, central banks in Asia. Plus, of course, you could also argue that uh, ever since it uh, started declining, we really could point to the euphoria amongst stock uh, markets participants here. Uh, but as it turned to the upside again, we've seen that uh, those wobbles come back again. They did, Rish, and, and, and you know, there are two things happening there, right? It's one, this repricing of Fed expectations, but it's also the Japanese yen that has mm. weakened. And since Ueda has been now confirmed as the next candidate, and he does follow through more or less on, on Kuruda's policies, even though he probably will make some change to it, but not immediately, it has weakened the yen. You know, and therefore uh, strengthened again the dollar has been a big impact. And you can take this back from October when you know the yen strengthened so much on anticipation of a change in BOJ that, that attributed the most to dollar strength. Yeah, we're just so at reversing. strong side of 134 at the moment. Uh, check that 135. Um, right. Help me understand what's happening in the background with the unwinding of the balance sheet and how this is being reflected in the bond market right now. We, we understand the story about the Fed and adjusting short-term rates to try to influence inflation lower. Talk to me a little bit about how this gets complicated when you're trying to unwind a massive balance sheet. Yeah, and the complication is in, in, in three ways. It's like, it's, it, on one hand, it's in the, in the money markets where this reverse repo facility that the Fed has put in place remains really bloated. And, you know, if you get a drain of reserves out of the system, it can put up upward pressure on money market rates and could actually therefore also lead to further, you know, inflow into that reverse repo facility that then again drains liquidity in the markets. And that can, could become like friction, can cause again like a tension. Um, it obviously is about that people anticipate this is going to also add to interest rate tight tightening overall, and that's in calculations by the Fed. 
that to some extent that's also in Fed Fund futures and, and the yield curve. And then lastly, it's about global liquidity, I think, that um, you know, in the fourth quarter, the Bank of Japan was heavily intervening to try to control the yen and and, and, and the yield curve, and the yield curve control right. that added liquidity. Of course, we know that the PBOC injected liquidity quite a bit over the over the holidays for the reopening and lunar holiday. So that that actually offset to a large extent the impact that otherwise the Fed has had hmm. on global liquidity. So that process is changing now too. You know, it looks like that that those liquidity injections by the PBOC are diminishing and. The BOJ that may not be so much of a liquidity boost for the time being. So, the the Fed withdrawing liquidity consistently now, and it means again saying they're not going to stop with that. They don't see any reason. It's all smooth working. Then you know at some point we're going back to what we remember, right, in 2018 or whenever it was. You do get some sort of tension in markets on withdrawal of liquidity. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Rashad Salamat. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.